particular exercises of attention making something or constructing something or even seemingly logically progressing in a particular path Uh, certainly the, the instructions we have these instructions that make it seem that there's that strong possibility of doing this uh, various um, like the say the meditation factors themselves beginning with viveka non-attachment vitaka fixing pointing fixing the mind vichara evaluating taking uh, res- picking up responding holding the uh, objects of the mind and uh, pity quality of enthusiasm enjoyment sukha quality of contentment and fruition these leading to a mind that comes together the state of oneness unity and there are of course there are Different exercises you, you can cultivate with these kinds of these kind of aims in mind, using these particular um, faculties, factors. Meditation on the breath, meditation on the body, cultivation of uh, the Brahma Vihara. But of course, what happens is uh, is that the picture is continually blurred by occurrence of dullness, restlessness, doubt, worry, feelings of guilt, inadequacy, lots of other things we have to be doing. Tempting luscious possibilities of things, other things we could be doing, having, contacting right now, or kind of stored up grudges and moans and complaints about things that can affect the mind so that the seem always to be losing the point of the meditation. Mm. We get to a meditation object. Then, interestingly enough, the cultivator is is cultivating in a way in kind of taking this into account, and you realise that really the cultivation of of samadhi, of oneness of mind, has to it's got a kind of linear development in terms of his uh, increasing sense of one pointedness and cultivation of skillful factors. It's also got a kind of more personal quality in which it's it's also an understanding of these things, these forms of suffering that dog us and infect and corrupt our reality. And we could say that uh, forget about the rest of it, just if we could understand these and, and not have these, then who wants anything more refined or higher than that just to be able to get through this stuff? 
is enough, isn't it, in one way. So another way in which samadhi is expressed is the absence of these of these hindrances. The mind that's free of these hindrances is already in samadhi. So you can look at it in either kind of a way of, of constructing something, of bringing something together, or a way of losing things, of releasing things. Because samadhi is, is a, a state of the mind when it's fully endowed and not cramped, not infected and not corrupted like that and as one uh, practices focusing on an object a meditation sign witnessing it recognizing what's going on this essential process uh, vitaka vichara then uh, say the teachings on uh, the foundations of mindfulness, which is the way in which these things, this process should be carried out, become very useful for us. So that the process of fixing and evaluating, finding a meditation object, determining which meditation object to use, what kind of practice style to use, how to apply it, uh, when to apply it, uh, what kind of degree of refinement? Um, what kind of effort you put into it? Whether it's you know how steady it is, or how soft it is, or whether it's just very simple. All these things are a way in which mindfulness doesn't just take into account the particular object, but also the way we're doing it, and so that the mindfulness, if you like, oversees the very fact of cultivation itself. And so all of the factors of the past should be attended with with mindfulness. Mindfulness and proper application, proper kind of effort. And the other factor is of, of right view. And one way in which right view is explained is just understanding the sense of... Uh, of cause and effect that if one does things that are skillful and good and helpful there will be a good result having that faith that it's not pointless there are there are such things as there is good, there are good results there is the result of good deeds and if we can't do good deeds in this particular uh, form or situation or meditation experience we do it in another way we always Recognizing that mindful cultivation of goodness must must have its fruition. So this means you never really lose the practice. You adjust it to what you can, where you can possibly cultivate mindfulness, right effort, and right view. Whether it's in the way you speak or don't speak, or refrain from speaking, just making that a cultivation in the way that what we do and don't do and how we do things. These are all very helpful. And in terms of of, uh, meditation, one should not really see the meditation as being, the cultivation of samadhi as being really that much different. Um, So, if you, as you look around, or you kind of review the practice of, of 
cultivators over the centuries. Some use just very, you know, can talk about things in extremely refined details and, and technical terms. Other people just say, well, you just watch your mind and that's it. Others use kind of things like koans. And it it gives you a whole kind of realization that it's it's you know the meditation is just using a, a, an object and relating to it and the real crux of it is not the particular object or system but what you're doing with it when it's the elements or the word buddho is a very common meditation theme for for people in in um in the Thai forest tradition, you use Buddha a lot. Walking meditation. Sometimes people can't get the hang of walking. Walking up and down. That's what we're doing. My foot, my knee, my leg. And uh, yet, yeah, the walking meditation is a very, uh, very common and, and probably more more used than sitting meditation in a lot of places in Thailand. When you meditate, when you're walking up and down, is it breath? No, it's not breath. Is it your feet? It's continually changing, isn't it? Meditating on just the, the experience of the body. You know, what gives you the body impression? Or the experience of mind? You can make it like that. Just, just being there, walking up and down, and noticing things going through your mind, and recognizing which ones you follow, which ones you don't follow, and the nature of them, the passions and the, and the doubts and the worries and just understanding the hindrances, and the nature of things like faith and resolution and patience and cultivating and sustaining those, and the nature of the, the fact of change impermanence and stopping and standing and letting things pass cultivate like that so it's how you use the object and what you what dhamma you can bring in around your practice that becomes the real um, art and it's an art that everyone finds for themselves you can't you know, these are the ingredients, but it's like anything beautiful work of art. It's always got a personal, original inventiveness to it, skillful means. But in general, you could say it's always conducted with mindfulness, right view, and right effort. These, the hindrances, the defilements, the obstacles that, that obsess us, the fact of getting obsessed, uh, is uh, the real kind of um, the real kind of crux of the problem of the matter of our life. This is, in fact, why. Why meditate at all, really? One way you can see it is just eliminating the the uh, pain from our from our psychology. 
and even and so when you begin to meditate, then it becomes more one-pointed because you're more one-pointed anyway. So, in a way, sometimes meditation is even more deluded and crazy mind states than when you're not meditating. You get more intense, more obsessive, more uptight, more craving, more confused, more worried, more manic, more dull than ever before. So meditators can be the kind of craziest kinds of uh, mind states because in in a way you're you're really um, getting to the root of the matter. It's not diffused over a range of activities. It's now the more one cultivates and meditates is just looking internally to the mind base. And we see this is where all these impressions and potentials are stored. So you're looking right into the kind of concentration of that. The uh, looking into the paint box itself, that being normally splashed over a huge canvas of activity. You're looking right into the palette itself. So the colours are very intense there, searing intensity. And so, if we, as we cultivate mindfulness of, of mind, you notice there are kind of various mind sets or mind states. You can feel kind of slightly, you know, elated or expansive or energized or kind of slack and this, that, and the other. These are minds, uh, general, general states of mind. Um, and these are often, say, the, the, um, The general tone, the general tenor of the mind, and uh, as we can, as you, if you're doing a retreat, then this general tenor, this general kind of tone of the mind, often begins to to distill into more particular and discrete. Uh, Objects or obsessions. Someone may feel kind of slightly um, uneasy, and then sooner or later you find a particular thing comes up that you feel very disturbed by, and you remember, and then it kind of then it becomes your partner, your your partner in the dance for a few days, weeks, months. Who knows? You know, your, your boxing match. It comes out of the out of the general diffused. Uh, mass of uncertainty and, and wavering, it becomes a very strong object. And so often the experience of retreat is of particular obsessive things coming up. You know, first of all, it sort of gently nudges in and then it finds, ah, oh, there's an opening here. And then it comes charging in and dances all over you. And then you, you try to think of something, go somewhere else, think of something else, do something else. And the more you back off, more it moves in, and uh, so one can feel very stymied by this and not able to cope with it. And then we are desperately plugging away at, hey, I'm not supposed to be thinking about this. I'm supposed to be watching the breath or doing that on the other. And you get caught in this tension between following your meditation object and doing something about this ill will, this craving, this grudge, this. Con- uh, worry that's obsessing you. So you get 
torn between the two and in that state of neither really being on one nor the other the mind loses its any kind of concentrated power and strength and dissipates into a sort of muddle and uh, then we, we, we've lost the thread of it altogether So when the hindrance is uh, strong, then it's one has to actually <clears throat> deal with it directly. So the various ways one can uh, deal with it, attempt to deal with it, is uh, as we should re- try and replace it with the with the meditation object. Which probably doesn't work very much. Might if it's just a little teeny weeny wimpy kind of hindrance, but mostly got a bit more <laughs> push than that. <laughs> so the and it also depends on how how strongly one has been able to cultivate uh, a meditation object. If you have been able to cultivate it, then 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 the meditation object has become very much enriched. Uh, you notice how a hindrance actually manifests. It manifests as a particular sign, image, or repeated set chain of thoughts in the mind. It's got a particular stamp to it. So it's a particular obsession. It comes up as a certain image in the mind, like a person's face or a particular action that's irritating or fascinating or it could be a particular doubt you're having about whether you should do this or do that so it comes up and it goes through this particular uh, sequence of thoughts and on the other hand but then again I could but then mind you mustn't forget to do so it just goes hop 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 backwards and forwards like that you know that particular Impression hits the mind, or if it's a worry, it's like something that kind of continually nibbles and erodes and never lets anything get firm. So it's a continual kind of, you know, caving in, ditheringness of worry, or dullness where you've got the impression of being held down or being unable to find any sense of of of, of clear focus. You get a kind of blurring effect and these are things that sometimes when you remember them or you're asked to describe what you're feeling or you ask yourself what, you, what are you feeling then you get you're able to, to actually define what it is and one of the so the if you like a, a very basic application of vitaka and vichara is to be able to name what you what you're going through vitaka is that which which says oh it's that and then vichara kind of describes it you know so you, you then you, you see it like that you actually to be able to define and describe a hindrance it doesn't have to be a kind of particularly long analysis just to get a, a, some kind of definition of it we could say in this one no one does this one is actually even with the hindrance being present using it to sustain meditation factors and these two 
these two meditation factors, and a sense of viveka in that one is kind of standing back from it. From that particular time, you're not actually uh, saying you shouldn't have this or it should be another way or do this. You're saying, what is it? You know, so there's a certain objectivity to it. And that, that that's, that's skillful. That kind of gives you a way of wisely reflecting on something. And then one it's possible to approach that that topic uh, with things like uh, with questioning. Is this really worth thinking about now? You know that kind of questioning, or why bother with that? Or you know, forgive and forget about that. You know, obvious things that once we're able to see something in perspective. So it's important to be able to kind of stand back. This means kind of like moving out of your fixing, fixed state of attention. The attention actually gets possessed by the hindrance. It stops you going through the process of, of consciously, deliberately focusing and investigating. You know, the hindrance has a tendency to just glue and mesmerize attention and and so this actually uh, is helps us to understand that that the proper cultivation of concentration is not just gluing your attention it's not going kind of spacing out or going numb or just staring blankly at things it does it's built up through a process of response and and clear deliberate um, focusing it's not just a kind of numb stare into something. That won't get very far. So that there's no mindfulness with that. And if one has cultivated meditation in that way, then certainly you'll find that hindrances take over and you don't know what to do with them. You haven't developed anything else. If the, if just by reason the hindrance doesn't go away, you, you can also recognise like the abiding a quality of it. So these things have got, uh, they're like nimitters, they're signs, they're marks, they have marks to them. The mark of passion, the mark of negativity, resistance, the mark of indolence. So you don't, you know, you don't want to bother. So, so um, if you go to that particular aspect of it, it, it gets much easier to deal with. For example, if you're a particular scenario is running through your mind of something you're annoyed about, upset about, and you keep this uh, obsessing into it, then. What you do is you run through the script of why it shouldn't be this way and it should be that way and everybody's like this and it should never happen like that. And you said this and they did that. And you keep going through that and then 
you go through it again, you kind of add more details, and of course, but even when I did that, it didn't work out, no, didn't it? It goes like that. So you're attending to the hindrance, but not in a way of of mindfulness. Mindfulness and investigation actually reduces it to, hey, this is this quality, this is doubt, or this is this is there's negativity, there's a resistance and aversion here. So you see the abiding root characteristic of that thing. And then it becomes more obvious what the response should be rather than working and figuring something out. The response is going to be the mirror image of what the uh, or counter image of what the um, what the hindrance is. And if one's been meditating and cultivating the mind skillfully, then we've got some experience in bringing up uh, patience when there's in. You know, we've become more adept at that and asking ourselves to have patience to bring that up to bring up faith to bring up kindness to bring up these uh, attributes so that then these will, you can apply them directly to the particular root of the hindrance mindfulness is the Characteristic that it sees things in 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 the way of it of them being phenomena. It's a phenomenological uh, experience. So instead of seeing things in terms of what it means, what I should do, how I shouldn't have this and what that, where we keep judging and measuring ourselves, we actually mindfulness of that which presents something as, hey, this is this. It's it's not. You're not involved with the the dialogue that's going on with it. You're not taking sides. You're not uh, ascribing it to yourself or denying its existence or blaming anybody. It's just this is now this is this experience. So it, it enables you to actually review and understand the quality of the experience in, a, in an objective way. It's important to do that. Uh, commonly, we either blame ourselves or blame others. We either analyse the situation and how it should be, or we analyse ourselves and how we should be. So, in this story, the hindrance will grow. Uh, they're kind of complaining about how we never got it right. We can do this, and we're always doing that. And we can't make it, and, 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 and. or when it's not right here, you can't really practice. It's not up to scratch. You have to do this. You cook too much of that. There's never enough of this. It's always like that. And so these are the common ways in which the the hindrance will actually not present itself. There's not enough mindfulness to or, fi- or holding quality to actually hold the thing to re- to review it as it is it, it, it creates a world and it creates a self and these things get very very convincing it's it's amazing how impossible it is to practice here 
in most places I've ever been to, after a while it become impossible, absolutely illogical and totally impossible to practice in. And most things that I've ever attempted to practice with, I've realized I'm completely incapable of doing them. I've never managed to cultivate a single one of them. This is the the apparent reality of when the hindrance is not revealed. And it's allowed to kind of go out into becoming a world or becoming a self. So watch watch out for that. So when it's gone like that, when it goes out into being a world or being a self, it no longer appears in that same intense, hindering way. It's more diffused. So we we take comfort in it. It almost take refuge in it. Now we find something that kind of takes away the, the sharpness of it, and it goes into a nice diffused grumble, you know, or a reasoned craving, <laughs> or a legitimate restlessness. Or, you know, that's because of this and that, and I had to do this, and my aunt says that, and I must be there, and I've got to do this. Ah, oh, I have an excuse for it. These kind of. Uh, and then, of course, this, this is what people get affected by. You don't know. So it's so convincing. But in, when it spews and it goes over into being the world of being the self, either I am actually totally and absolutely flawed and incapable, and this is you know this is actual truth. It's you know it's 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 and I find all kinds of things I have ways I have been able to do this over the years and so. That's to own up to the fact that yes, I am actually incapable of meditating in any proper way at all, um, and I'm complete disgrace. That you begin to actually, you know, the experience goes like that. I mean, just look at, uh, take that at the moment for one moment, for just this moment. We bring it back to. Now, what do you want? What are you? What are you asking yourself to do? And what does the mind feel like in that particular state? Is this the mind that you feel is your true leader and guide? Is this the mind that's going to help you? And the mind that's presenting remedies and answers—is that the doctor? Or is it the disease that's speaking? Good to know, check it out, wouldn't it? Because you find it, it's the doctor. But it'd be pretty crazy to start following the disease, expecting it to take you to health. This is the way one should take responsibility for life. Which is the doctor, which is the disease which is the one that leads to happiness and which is the one that leads to suffering.
so that the act of meditation actually can you know bring apparent life scenarios into into a helpful focus we have a problem an issue in our mind let's look at it with mindfulness what hindrances are present what enlightenment factors are present what faith is present what energy is present what mindfulness is present what's the mix there's often a bit of everything isn't it it's not 100% hindrance it's probably you know elements of skillfulness in it it's just actually being able to see something as a phenomenon rather than as me doing something me in the world because when we're sitting here who, where's the me and where's the world it's just something happening in our mind isn't it so this is a very powerful practice and the hindrances can actually be very good um, teachers for us like a sparring partner who's a good teacher tells you where to keep your guard up where you should be what you should have learned what footwork you should have it's not the kind of teacher that sort of sits you on a lap and tells you things the teacher that makes you work for it if you don't get it right you get a fist in the head boot in the gut then you you learn you survive the beauty is with these is that the uh, the results of, of tackling the hindrance are more than just the dis- you know than just the apparent not having that thing happen anymore or having sorted something out like we may very well find we've got a particular doubt or uncertainty whether to do this or do that go here or go there be this or be that and then the thinking mind says, oh, look, I'll tell you what to do. Don't need to meditate. I'll look. Let's look at this clearly. I'll think it out. So you get to a conclusion. Right, that's it. Now I know what to do. And if you actually stay with that long enough, you'll probably find that the thinking mind will then start to think, mm, but then again, perhaps on the other hand, it doesn't necessarily resolve the doubt. It gives one a kind of a, 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 a sense, some sense of, of uh, conviction, which may be fleeting or or partial. But it, in its best, that's all it does give you. It just helps you to move around on in that same plane of thinking and figuring and working things out and then you get to the next point which you have to think about well maybe this or maybe that and you all you do is you stay on the plane of thought and wet and doubt <coughs> 
if you actually resolve the hindrance with meditation, then the energy that normally would go into that particular experience of thinking and imagining and expecting and calculating, that is then transferred into the practice. So your mind actually becomes firmer and clearer and less prone to doubt. Doubt has the quality to continually divide. If we see that quality of dividing and going into thought and check it, then the mind goes into unity and the silencing of thought. So that's actually a more powerful uh, result in terms of one's own uh, uh, experience than just finding an answer. So when you have when you have doubt, just recognize the moving to this and that, the dividing of it as a phenomenon. Don't get involved with the issues, just which witness the experience of it and see this is just mental activities, doing this and doing that, attachment to thoughts and ideas. And that's something that can be witnessed, seen as arising and ceasing. So that particular experience of witnessing becomes the point of unity. And once the the power is taken out of the doubt, then we're able to see things more clearly and often a solution will appear. Or we recognize that we haven't really resolved the doubt. We've resolved that particular you know, moment of it, but not the fundamental attraction of it. Attraction of speculation, the attraction of having all kinds of possibilities. I could do this, I could do that, which is a tr- gives us a sense of freedom. Speculation gives us a sense of intelligence. And those are you know, nice things to feel we have, but intelligence is not that intelligent. And that kind of freedom is really not very free either. It's just like the ability to move around inside the chains. It was a little easier than just being held in one position.
sense desire promises us um, experience of gratification gratification is like uh, one is which is enormously um, important sign for us a sense of being fulfilled charged plugged in filled up by something fulfilled so this is the big thing that the instinct of the mind tends towards fulfilling experience some kind or another where one is just that and it's there's the, the kind of the pleasant vedana, the pleasant feeling the stimulation the, and the oneness of it when one is totally absorbed into something that's, that's pleasant delightful and in various forms this is what um, the instinct goes for it can only see that that's that's the best thing going in life it only knows that much it's such a powerful thing raga fulfillment gratification being a raga it's such a powerful thing that uh the practices of meditation in a way siphon it off can siphon it off by by actually giving one uh, fulfilling or gratifying experiences of a non of an internal nature such as uh, the quality of um, samadhi itself is a kind of gratifying thing and jhana is a gratifying experience has the same kind of quality to it it absorbs, the mind is unified, it's pleasant, a subtle level. So that was a, that's a kind of stopgap, and maybe a very valuable one, because apart from that uh, factor of being gratifying and enjoyable, the cultivation of samadhi also does bring around skillful factors of um, right view, right effort and right mindfulness and these are really the most important features of it not the the enjoyment is there to help us stay with it and pull out from the plane of instinct of just the instinctive sensual plane but by itself it's not really an answer The answer is more when one begins to understand by reviewing whatever gratifying experience one's having. It's eating something, sleeping, sitting in a hot bath, sitting by a warm fire, whatever it is. Its gratification is basically a feeling feeling in consciousness pleasant feeling in consciousness that's that's as far as it goes consciousness on that in that way aims for a particular pleasant feeling 
it gets that feeling it feels that's what a feeling is sounds so silly doesn't it when I'm saying it like this but it means it doesn't go any further than that it doesn't actually become oneself it doesn't make you any different it doesn't do anything for you it just does something to the feeling it just changes the feeling from one feeling to another feeling but that's that's as far as it goes it doesn't do anything more than that you realise that the whole of the sense world is just built upon that particular feeling thing and how far does a feeling go? You know, we so until we uh, cultivated, it's all we can think in terms. We can revalue things in terms of whether it feels good, pleasant, or feels unpleasant. There doesn't seem to be another another way of of measuring something as beneficial or not. This is where, of course, the whether one is cultivated, whether one's absorbed into a particular sense desire, mental and internal, when it's mental and internal, it can be extremely luminous, bright, raging, magnetic, sticky. Um, when it's something external, it can have the effect of hitting the attention like a bomb. Something one's eye is dragged towards, one's ear is... is you know, struck by it, one's taste is kind of inflamed by it. You can have that quality to someone who's cultivating, usually because they're they're that much more focused on a particular sense base. Then it's it's important to to recognise with that that kind of the fiery nature of feeling is is it's not actually. Doing, it's not actually filling you up with something. That fire is you burning up with it. It's not like putting something into you. That energy is something being taken out of you. As you can recognize, you know, if you get uh, st- stimulation, there's a tendency to kind of charge you up, but then afterwards you, uh, you come down again. So it actually pulls things. Riches rather than depletes. There's an ability to, to that the kind of pleasure that comes from samadhi is is not uh, debilitating, not exhausting, but actually um, sustaining and and gives you more energy. It's relaxing. So it has that quality to it. But one's still left with actually the sense of you know pleasure, displeasure. And uh, it's really the function of of mindfulness to be able to understand feeling just as a phenomenon, whatever it's arising around, rather than as something that I have, can be, 
cannot have if it's unpleasant can not be shouldn't have should have should have less of should have a different one want more of rather than measuring or seeing oneself in terms of any feeling this feeling is a phenomenon that must occur but only it's only a phenomenon so you you begin to well and this can be done on just a fairly you know not not tremendously absorbed uh, state of mind but the you know the quality of sustained and focused attention evaluation in order to and the one point in it certainly but not necessarily that kind of mesmerize it's not a it's just the ability to actually discern a feeling. And particularly when a sense desire hits the mind, you do have this opportunity. If you've got the, the faith, the right view, to recognize there will be a skillful result that can come from this. The right effort to realize there is an effort that we can make with that. And the mindfulness to know there's something that can be seen in a way this can be approached, which will be valuable for us. So there are uh, signs you can cultivate with these hindrances. There are ways in which to, if you cultivate certain strengths of focus on particular signs, like body, breath, kindness and so on, these may become signs for you. That means they hold the attention there so the attention doesn't get hit by things. It's not wavering. If if, if uh, impressions arise, they're not taken in because we're holding on to something else. It's this kind of deliverance or, or freedom from, from that uh, being affected by things in that way. It's a partial freedom, but it's a kind of uh, an alleviation which is enjoyable. The alleviation through signs, through having a particular sign, and you can choose big ones, you know, like um, the mind itself, just a sense of watchfulness, the body, uh, a sense of movement, or it can be something quite refined, or it can be a word that you repeat over and over again, or a particular mood. So you have a there's a whole range of it one can use and then there's the animita or the signless which is recognizing the endings of things the change and disappearance of things of whatever manifests being able to see what's not present in what is present so this is kind of more of a wisdom quality you know, requires deliberate study to see, say, say the beauty of something is actually just reading things in a certain way. So we can see the unbeautiful in the beautiful. We can see the beautiful in the unbeautiful. 
We can see the things that are present. We can see the things that are absent. We can see the ending of things that arise. We can witness, say, when there's uh, there's no greed present, or there's no aversion present. We can notice that they, the non-arising, the non-appearance of something. So if you look at things in this way, you've always got a kind of a, a sense of there being a space and an opening and an emptying. In, in experience as it happens so the beauty of this is you not, don't have to find a situation where experience isn't happening you can see the signlessness within the realm of signs so that within it, the realm of experiences and forms and feeling you're in it but not partaking of it, not feeding on it, not asking things from from it, not searching within it. And this is the say where cultivation of samadhi with mindfulness, right view, right effort um, reaches its highest uh, fruit. These are the qualities of deliverance from form, from feeling, from the storehouse of perceptions and ideas, from views, and from the objects of consciousness. In the um, Satipatthana, the first thing that's always pointed to time and time again is to notice the, the change, the, the disappearance, the arising disappearance. So we become familiarized with that. If a thing is changing, where does it go to? If it's arisen, where did it come from? And you turn your attention to either of these points and uh, you see the something that's uh, signless or free of that particular thing that has arisen. Anyone? <laughs> Coming into my 